beautiful out of a bunch of misfits and idiots. Nothing personal, guys. <laughs> I'm going to pray now, and we're going to get into um, a topic that's so close to my heart. And more importantly, it's close to Jesus' heart. Would you pray with me as we get ready for the Word of God today? Lord, thank you for your presence in this room and at Crow's Nest with our brothers and sisters there. And that, in fact, you stretch a beautiful line of spirit between us and them. And, in fact, the whole body of Christ in Sydney and around the world today as we meet. And your will for us, Lord, is to unite under Jesus. Lord, open our hearts this morning and just iron out any pieces, any kinks that, that are hindrances to us connecting with either you or other people, Lord. Open our hearts to your word today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to start with something that's not a Bible verse, but Josh has put it up there for me. God is community. It's a strange statement. Some might even look at it and go, hang on a minute, is that in the Bible? Interesting. Barry knows what I'm talking about, I think. <laughs> but a few people will be like, hang on a minute, what's that about? No, I'm not a Hindu, I'm not a pantheologist. Got lots of friends who are. But you know, community and connectedness is really at the heart of God. Let me tell you something really unusual about Genesis chapter 1. If you haven't read the Bible, start with the Gospels with Jesus. But Genesis chapter 1 is fascinating. It's, it's rich and it's full of so much information that will just blow your mind. And one of these, these little gems, I'm not going to put it up because we've got a lot of other Bible to get through today. But one of these little gems is when God had finished creating all these incredible things. From single cell organisms to complex DNA and all the, the wonderful creatures that fly and crawled out of the ocean. And... And he, he looked at it and he said, it's good, but there was something min missing. And the pinnacle was mankind, us, made in his image. And the verse says, and you can look it up. I didn't make it up. It says, let us, God says, let us make mankind in our image. What an extraordinary statement. He doesn't say, let me make mankind in my image. He says, let us make mankind in our image. What on earth could that mean? It's in the Bible. I didn't make it up. And this is the fascinating truth, something that we'll never fully understand. And people have argued for years over it. We, we throw another non-biblical word at it and we call it Trinity. Not in the Bible, but the concepts are all there for us to open up. God comes from and embodies community. Jesus, the Son, fully God, the Bible says, Fully human, but fully God, representing everything of the Father. And yet he communes constantly with his Father from earth. The Holy Spirit. There's no hierarchy in this trinity that we speak of. The Holy Spirit is God right here today. The Holy Spirit in this room, dwelling with us. Jesus said, that's me. God anointed Jesus with his spirit. So it's this bizarre thing that we can't understand. God is one, certainly. Don't go away saying I said anything else. That'll get me in trouble. God is one, no doubt. But there's so much more complexity to it. And the other thing that happened in Genesis chapter 1 that's fascinating to me is Adam was there and it was great. We've got a man. And he was in the garden. It was actually Adam that brought this to God's attention and went, 
still, still not happening, God. Uh, um, don't get me wrong. A cow's great to snuggle up with at night. They're very warm. I don't know, maybe rode giraffes around. I don't know what he did on his own there, but he definitely had a deficiency and he needed someone else. And then this incredible, amazing, the pinnacle of all creation came before him. One thing that he'll never understand. We talked about the Trinity. There's only one thing more complex than the Trinity, and that is a beautiful woman. And so God created woman. And Adam went, wow. He was just blown away. And there was community. And more than that, he said, go, multiply, fill the earth. Have lots of babies, in other words. Create communities, create tribes. And God's intention was for peace on earth and for community. God is community. Now, we run into snags as human beings because there's something in our nature that actually, it's a darker side of human nature that came in. I won't talk about where it happened, but when Adam and Eve kind of turned away from God, fractures began to happen in this idea of community. And God spent the rest of his time trying to reconcile people with each other and with him. People become self-centered over time. And, and we become, there's a word, xenophobic often. Xenophobe is a Greek word that denotes fear of strangers. Or, or really, it's just kind of a, a concept that means fear of anything um, that's different. Xenophobia creeps in. I've got a little story to talk about um, for this one. I, I had the privilege of being involved with um, a group called Christian Skaters. We started that out in Campbelltown with a bunch of ragtag uh, housing commission fellas and myself. I was just as ragtag as them. And we skated and we talked about Jesus. And when we started, the, the young people in this skateboard group, a lot of them didn't even know Jesus. But amazingly, I was always blown away by what happened in Campbelltown for those sort of 10 to 12 years. They said, yeah, yeah, we want to know about Jesus. And they were open because... I met them at their culture. <laughs> I wasn't a great skater. I've still got ankle injuries to this day and, and problems with my knees, but it was all worth it for the gospel's sake. But we used to meet, we used to hang out, and we were skateboarders. It was simple. We'd watch a skate video in, in, in our little apartment, and then we'd read a little bit from the Bible. The attention spans weren't too huge, but they were like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're into Jesus. They really, really were. They were hungry, which always amazed me. But then trouble, trouble brewed. See, one of the skateboarders brought his brother along. And his brother was a fruit booter, not a skateboarder. And put up your hand in this room or in Crow's Nest if you have any idea what a fruit booter is. I'm so glad you don't know. The biblical equivalent is uncircumcised, Ivan. The uncircumcised came amongst us. And yes, I'm just going to say it, despite the blasphemous nature, they were rollerbladers. So a rollerblader was amongst us. And this, oh, this really challenged the status. Hang on. We get Jesus and we get skateboarding, but what's that guy doing here? The fruit booter. Except the fruit booters. Put it up there. Fruit booters. In the book of Acts somewhere you'll find that. Fruit booters slash uncircumcised. And they went, hang on, what's going on here? And so God challenged those young fellas. And, and I had to begin to teach like, oh, hang on, whoa, skateboarding's good, Jesus is good. But guess what? God loves fruit booters as well. He does. And so what happened was this brother, this brother came in and he was like, can I be part of it? Why? He wanted community. He was lonely. There was no Christian rollerbladers group. And they're a different breed. They're, they're, they're equally daring. They're kind of crazy because 
with a skateboard, you can kick the board away if you mess up the trick and then just roll or land. <laughs> with rollerblades, if you dive through the air or slide on a rail, there's no escaping. You've got to land on the wheels. Um, so they're kind of wild and crazy and they do backflips and all sorts of stuff. But they began mixing in among the skateboarders. And there was a little bit of tension. We ironed that out and we learnt from the Bible. I was able to go, okay, guys, next step. Jesus loves you and accepts you, but he wants you now to accept others. And pretty soon it got even more blasphemous. And we had scooter riders and BMXs coming to our crew. And this created a great, a great um, confusion. But, but in the end, I'm happy to say that, that people got the idea um, that actually comes out of Acts chapter 22, that God added to the number of the early church daily, and it was never easy because he was adding Greeks and Jews and Parthians and all sorts of people from different walks of life, and they had to learn to get along. And that's God restoring humanity together. So God takes us out of our comfort zone. If we'll pop that one there, this is an important point I want to make this morning. In getting to connectedness and community as a church and, and as individuals, we've got to be ready to, to move aside xenophobia and say, okay, God's going to challenge me this week. And I don't mean just at church, but, but in your daily walk, to talk to someone who's a little different to me. He takes us out of our comfort zone. I want to, I want to talk briefly. Um, again, I won't put this passage up, but... I can't help it. There's another beautiful passage where Jesus really took his disciples, his own skateboarders in Judea. He took them big time out of their comfort zone. He crossed the lake, Lake Galilee, and he went to a place that was just, just these Jewish people from, uh, from Palestine and from, from that Jerusalem all the way up to Nazareth area never went. It was called the Decapolis now, just a brief history of the Decapolis. Decapolis was the other side of the lake from Judea. The Jews had their own little kingdom that the Romans had allowed. But the other side was quite different. There were these Greek city-states that were very civilized and very modern. Um, and the Jewish people didn't feel comfortable at all. The Romans put garrisons there and made those ten cities, this Decapolis, a bastion of modern civilization and you weirdo Jews, you can stay over there in, around Jerusalem, but, but this is real civilization. The, the, the Jewish people from Judea did not feel comfortable. And Jesus was primarily sent to talk to the, the stubborn-headed Israelites to get the message to them first. But he challenged me. He said, guys, we're getting in the boat. We're going over there. Not only did they go to a Gentile place or a Greek civilization, which they weren't used to, they landed on the shore at a pig farm. So for a Jew, <laughs> thank goodness you probably don't understand the feeling they would have had, but it wasn't fun. They got out of the boat and they're in pig territory. Pigs everywhere, giant herds of them. So unclean, unclean, unclean. Look, I'm going to get you to jump ahead, Josh. It relates later, but, but I love this concept. Jesus specialized in the unclean. If you can find that one, I want you to understand Jesus' heart in taking the disciples out of their comfort zone. Jesus specializes in the unclean. The woman who was bleeding ceremony unclean that came and touched him. He imparted faith and healing to her. The Syrophoenician woman, another foreigner, I won't go into it, but she was definitely not welcome at the table of Israel, but even her. The Samaritan woman, that's a biggie, <laughs> huge. 
We talk about, oh, Samaritans didn't get on with Jews. That's an understatement. Samaritans used to take the carcass of a dead pig and throw it in the construction zone of the temple when the temple was being built. And so the Jews would have to, not only was it a pig, but it was dead, and they'd have to purify for seven days, and they'd stop building the temple because of this unclean thing. Samaritan Jews and Jews had bad blood. So there were Samaritans, there were Jews, and then there were these pig farmers of the Gerasenes, or the Gadarenes, on the other side of Galilee. So he, he, he goes over there, he takes the disciples out, and then to top it all off, a guy who lives among tombs. I just explained the uncleanness of dead bodies. A guy who lives among tombs comes to them and sits at Jesus' feet. What do you want with me? He's possessed, of course, with unclean spirits. And that's the only thing we hear about on that side of the lake. I don't even know if the disciples would have been so much shock as pure Jews or what they thought was purity. Getting back to, to the other side of the lake later, I doubt they would have even talked about it. Uh, yeah, we, never mind what we did. What did you do today, honey? Oh, never mind. Dead bodies, unclean spirits, pigs, the whole thing. Jesus said, this is part of your future mission. He focused on Israel, but in the future we know the disciples, their minds were opened and they went out to the ends of the earth and well past that. And I'd love to preach on the demoniac that was set free that day to preach in the 10 cities. That's what happened. He was healed. He wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus said no, physically. But he said, you're healed. Go and tell about what I've done for you in the 10 cities. Another story altogether. But the other thing Jesus really cares about is the lonely. He specialized in the unclean and he specialized in the lonely. And this is something I had to explain to the skateboarders constantly. Guys, we're not just about our clique. If there's a new skateboarder or rider or fruit booter at the skate park, make sure you reach out to them because that's part of what we do. God understands loneliness. He, he doesn't just understand it. In a way, Jesus says later on, he actually experiences it and looks out of the eyes of the lonely. And he says, if, if you treat the lonely and the stranger well, you've treated me well. I love this verse from the Old Testament, Psalm, chapter, Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6. Look at this. If we can put that up, thanks, Josh. God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows. Is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. This is God's heart. He sets the lonely in families. Does that give you a hint about, about our behavior, about what we're to do as people in this world? We seek out the lonely, actually, and we set them in families. Not in a dogmatic, bossy way, not in a preaching way, but just, hey, welcome and make people feel accepted. It's the hospitality of the kingdom is the greatest hospitality culture on earth. I'm going to um, read another Bible verse from a book I rarely ever quote. <laughs> um, don't read it if you haven't read the New Testament, but we're going to quickly look at Leviticus. I love this word about foreigners. Even in the middle of all the rules and regulations about cleanliness and ceremonial pure, purity, even in the middle of all of those um, rules and regulations, God's heart comes through. He says, in Leviticus 19.34, when a foreigner lives with you in your land, don't take advantage of him. Treat the foreigner the same as a native. 
Love him like one of your own. Remember that you were once foreigners in Egypt. And that's a really beautiful, challenging message that Jesus gives. He says, and God says to these people, remember once you were aliens. It doesn't just apply to the Israelites in Egypt when they would have been so uncomfortable for 400 years in a place not their own, in a place that was never covenanted to them, in slavery and rejected by the people around them. Remember what it feels like to be alone and rejected. Because God sees from that perspective. He puts himself in the shoes of the vulnerable. If we can put the next slide up there. I'm sliding it up today, guys. God puts himself in the shoes of the vulnerable and the lonely. So part of his way of getting people to connect is saying, this is my perspective. I'm going to put up a passage from the New Testament now where Jesus talks about that last day. Hell and Hades and punishment is not a topic I like to talk on a lot. It's a scary topic. It's also often misinterpreted and misunderstood. It's been used as a fear tactic for many centuries throughout the church. Um, That hell is the place you go if you're not part of our club or particularly the old Catholic church way was if you're not baptized you're going straight to hell jesus had something to say about hell that was that was rather more logical and real and we don't misinterpret him there's forgiveness for everyone but he says this is the sort of thing that will divide people this is my heart have a look he's very harsh and strong in this passage and on that final day he says there's goats and there's sheep either side of me here's the difference The sheep do this. Can we put up Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, please? On that final day, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. That's Jesus looking out from the eyes of the sick, the hurting, the broken. And what we don't see in that passage is a response. The people go... And this is beautiful. The people go to, they go to Jesus, but, but, but when, when did we do that? I don't remember doing that. And that's part of the point. They didn't do it because they knew God was there sitting on the street begging. Well, that lonely person was God. They would have ran up in a heartbeat if they knew it was God, right? Oh, I get a tick in the box. I just see if they knew it was God, right? Oh, I get a tick in the box. I just serve God. It's a kind of favoritism, really. I said, when did we do that? He said, you did it without knowing by being compassionate. And so when we welcome someone who's vulnerable or lonely, we're actually welcoming Jesus. He says that. I was a stranger. He puts himself right in the midst of that loneliness or that sickness or um, that, that lack and that need or that war zone. You cared for me. And he remembers that at the, at the end of eternity on that final day. And so that's the challenge for us to go, Lord, 
How do we be part of the solution, not the problem? And absolutely, I believe our main goal on this earth is to restore the kingdom of God. It's a big statement. It just means to bring things back to the way God intended it. I'll give you something really wild. I'll say something really wild now. Adam and Eve were not Jews. <laughs> Shock on cue. Thank you. Kate's my, my go-to um, bounce yeah, sounding board. Look, Adam and Eve were not Jews. The idea is nonsense. Um, the Jewish culture and the Hebrew lineage didn't start till Abraham much, much later. We can talk about Noah. He wasn't even a Jew. These were long before those lines um, and genealogies had begun. Adam and Eve were just people. And the whole earth was to be populated with these people. When Jesus came, he said, that's the kingdom of God. That's what we're getting back to. We want to welcome all cultures, all creeds, all races. Dare I say it, all religions? I, you know, I haven't got a problem with someone from a totally different religion walking to a church. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. Because I happen to know a basic truth about Jesus. Is that if the message of Jesus is true and it's powerful, we can welcome someone from any faith. And they'll just sit there and they'll hear Jesus and go, sounds good to me. <laughs> and it's the hospitality that wins them over. I'll say one more thing about hospitality. My wife is Turkish. And uh, due to an unfortunate sewerage leak in our apartment, uh, we had to vacate. After two months' marriage, we had to vacate our own home. And we ended up living with my Turkish in-laws. <laughs> and they're amazing. But boy, oh boy, does their world revolve around hospitality and food and welcome. The, the, their home is like a palace to which anyone that enters, this is Middle Eastern culture, is to be treated like a king. And that was very much true in Jesus' days. And so the food, they want to give you the best food, the best room, all these things. Something that's often lost in, in Western culture, particularly Australian culture. And, and me and B clash on this point. I'm like, I don't want any visitors this week. I just don't want anyone in my house. I want to watch Netflix. I want to chill out. <laughs> but she's a very community-oriented uh, person. And that's challenged me a lot. But hospitality no matter what culture you're from, is actually a hallmark of the kingdom of God. And I just love Abby and, and Stephanie and, and Kristen at Crow's Nest and these people who make that a priority. Um, it's just interesting. We're online today with you guys at Crow's Nest. Um, I want to speak to you and say thank you for coming to the building, even though I wasn't there. The guy preaching wasn't there. But you've got community and that's why you're there. Go and have a cup of tea afterwards. And don't just have a cup of tea Push through that awkward zone and go, I'm going to walk up to someone I don't know from a bar of soap. And you know what? A lot of people uh, misunderstand me. I was talking to Rob before. Um, they think I'm this extrovert person. When I've got a microphone and I've got a purpose or a song to do, I am. But, but I'm actually really shy. and I'm really socially awkward. Um, so God's been challenging me um, when, I get, when I walk off the, the platform of Crow's Desk with my guitar to go out to the foyer and say hello to people. And it's tricky because a lot of people will know me because we did church online, but I don't know them from a bar of soap, Ivan. They walk up and go, hi, Graham. I'm like, hi, you. <laughs> but they're the beautiful moments where we push through and we go, hey, I want to get to know someone. I want to be part of it. This is very grand, just for a cup of tea in the foyer, isn't it? It's the last thing I'll say. Sounds very grand. But when you're in the foyer having a cup of tea, people, you are restoring the kingdom of God. How's that sound? 
take that seriously. And so if, if, if you're a crow's nest today and you're like, oh man, preacher's on a screen, what up with that? You're not just there for the sermon. In fact, it's well known from surveys that churches that retain people, people have their comments, oh, this sermon wasn't biblical enough. He, he used, oh, he talked about fruit booters. I didn't like that. And, and the music was a little bit out of time. Taramara's got a drummer, tick. Oh, no drummer this week at Crow's Nest. People have all sorts of judgments they make, but, but in the end, what, what people stick with is the welcome. For all the things they list, with all, you know, we've all been church shopping, don't lie. Even the regulars here, they've snuck off to another church and checked it out. Compare, compare is what we do. But the thing that really makes people stay with the church, a lot of people don't even remember the first sermon ever preached because they're so self-conscious when they first time they come to church. They don't even, it doesn't go in mentally. All they know is, did I feel welcome? Let's make each other feel welcome. Today and through the rest of the year. I haven't got much more to say. But I'm really, really happy to be up here at, at Taramara. It's just, it's beautiful. The, the band is epic. Can we give a hand for those guys? I'm just excited. I'm just excited. And, and though I miss our dear team at, at Crow's Nest, um, and Sam and Kristen are back today, and I don't get to give them a hug, but so happy they're there. Um, I just think it's beautiful that we've got two communities that are connected by this common theme. And I haven't said it, but I'll say it, and you'll hear it from Sam all year, I guarantee it. At, at Northside Church, you belong before you believe, and you believe before you behave, or you believe before you start to, to walk like Jesus. Belong before you believe. Believe before you behave. Let's pray. And then at Crow's Nest, Sam's going to lead communion. And I'm going to lead that here. And, and this, remember, was done around a table at a meal, which is pretty cool. But let's pray that the Lord's word sinks into our heart. And then we're going to take communion separately at Crow's Nest and here at Taramara. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, that you've brought us together as a family. We're brothers and sisters, Lord. And the wild idea that someone we've never met can be our brother or our sister is your idea, Lord. Because you're in those people. You look out from vulnerable, lonely eyes, Lord. Lord, challenge us this week, not, not just at, at church, but through the week at, at, at work, and also for any young people who are listening um, at school. Man, I remember high school, how rough that was. Lord, bless our teenagers and our uni students at Northside and, and all around. As young people looking to make their way in life, look for community. Lord, help us to understand that you love community, that you invented it, and you want us to be connected with you and with one another in such beautiful ways, Lord. We pray this in your mighty name, Jesus, our, our Saviour. Amen. And so we can take this now if you've got if you've got one nearby under your seat. And I can't help but say this represents everything we've talked about today. You might have heard the idea that the cross is a beautiful visual representation of what Jesus did. The cross is vertical, reconciling God to people, but it's also horizontal. Recon reconciling people to people. Jesus said, the gospel and my will in a nutshell is love God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He died on that cross, not just to reconcile us to God, 
but to reconcile us to each other. It's just so beautiful. So take that, meditate on the blood of Jesus shed for your sins and for the whole world and the body of Jesus broken for you, that you may be whole. Amen. Just take a moment to, to be blessed in his presence. And then